Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. This content may not be suitable for all ages. Listener discretion is advised. That's when I got scared and called my mom again, who was already on her way home at that point, and made her stay on the line with me. Tim had taken no clothes from his home before leaving, and there is no evidence that he packed anything at all. It was just one of those, like, he was dead determined to make me aware that he was there, and I wasn't allowed to deny his existence. From Disturbed Media, join your host, Chad, for true tales of horror, bizarre happenings, and unexplainable events. This is Disturbed. Welcome back in, everyone, and thanks for joining me. This week, I'm bringing you two true horrifying tales and three listener voicemails that will horrify and terrify. So sit back and listen close as we dive into the horror. First off, just a big thanks to everyone sending in voicemails about your experiences, and let's keep them coming, especially those Halloween-related stories. And it's very simple to do. Just use your mobile device and navigate on over to hotline.disturbedpodcast.com. Just make sure you're in a quiet setting when you record. Now I'm hoping to feature more of these stories leading into Halloween. We open the show with a listener voicemail from Megan. And we meet the Great White Monkey Bat. Longtime fan of the podcast, and I thought it's you know, my turn to tell my story. It's one that happened a long time ago, a long time to me, in the year 2000. I was 16. I was coming home from a date with my boyfriend. Um, it was late, probably around 11 o'clock, and it was the day after Halloween. We were going down a long country road where I lived. It was in the middle of nowhere, so there were no street lights. Um, you know, only the houses that you could see that had their porch lights on. We were going through a long stretch where there were woods on both sides, and I saw something high up in a pine tree that looked like a ghost decoration. And I thought to myself, like, that was a pretty odd placement for a ghost. Somebody had to climb a tree, like, a long ways up. It was a really tall pine tree. As we got closer, I noticed that it was huge, and I didn't think it was a ghost decoration anymore, but I couldn't quite tell what it was until we got super close to it, and it opened up its wings. It was all white, 
that's why I thought it was a ghost decoration. But this thing was huge. And then finally it swooped down and I got a really good look at it. It was, like I said, all white, but had the body of like a man. The wingspan was huge. I want to say it was 15, 20 feet across. And whatever it was, was super tall. I, I mean, again, I'm guessing at least seven foot tall. I didn't really get a good look at the head of it, but I could tell it had really long legs and it was flying at a pretty high speed and came right down and scraped the top of my boyfriend's SUV. Like I could hear it scraping it. And I looked behind us and it's back up in the air, turning around as if it's gonna chase us. And it follows us for a good while until we finally lose it. And he's speeding as fast as he can to get away from this thing because it's almost like it's stalking us. And I kept looking back at it. I mean, the wings look like bat wings, but like I said, it had the body of what would seem to be a man, long legs, all white. The wings were like translucent, you know, like a bat wing. And it just scared the crap out of me. I get home and we both get out and look on the top of this SUV and there are scratch marks. You can see within the paint, it was a dark blue color and it was just white from where I had scratched the paint off. And he told me not to tell anybody because nobody was gonna believe me and just think that we were crazy. And of course I go in and I tell my dad about it. And you know, he's laughing at me, telling me it was all my imagination. They ended up calling it the great white monkey bat. That was kind of like a joke to pick on me and my siblings would pick on me about it until about 14 years later when my brother was living with me. I was a single mom and my brother had to get up early to go to work and his vehicle wasn't working. So I had to get up and take him to work and I had to get my sons up and, um, you know, come with us. It was probably five o'clock in the morning, maybe even earlier than that. And I still lived close around the area I lived at whenever I was 16, when I first saw this thing. And we uh, turn onto the road from where I live. And I'm telling you, this is like less than a quarter of a mile from where we were living. As soon as we turn on the main road, we see this really tall white thing. And it's just like trembling on the side of the road. It looks like a something huge, again, really tall with its wings wrapped around it, just twitching. And my brother talks me into pulling over so he can get a better look at this thing. And again, I don't want to, but I do because I'm crazy, I guess. He gets out and he has his flashlight on him. And he's looking for it. And I mean, this happened within a matter of seconds. We saw it. I pulled over. He got out and it was gone. It was completely gone. There were fields on both sides of us. The only way it could have gone that fast was if it flew away, flew straight up. And he said that it was the great white monkey bat. It had to have been the great white monkey bat. Again, that's just what we call it. But not just us have seen this thing. I've heard other locals in this area, and it's a very small town, I'm telling you, uh, probably less than 800 people. Other people have seen this thing, and they describe it the exact same way. They say it's huge. 
It has the body of a man, bat-like wings. The wingspan is really big, and it almost stalks people in their car. And they see it late at night or early in the morning when it's dark out, just like we did. Um, one of my friends saw it on her way back from her boyfriend's house one night. She calls me crying to let me know that she saw the great white monkey bat. Um, her voice was trembling because it also stopped her almost all the way to her house before she finally lost it. Um, so I'm from the northern part of North Carolina. If you're up here and you see the great white monkey bat, look out. Don't let it follow you home. Are you listening alone? Rather brave of you. Up next, we have an email submission from Natalie, featuring voice work by Sarah Thomas. And we have a run-in with the Grey Woman. At the age of five, we rented a house that was built in the 70s, so it's pretty old. The layout was kind of weird, and there was dark wood paneling on the walls, so the house was always pretty dark. When you entered the living room from the front door, there was a long dark hallway to the left that led to all of the bedrooms. My brother's bedroom was the first door on the left, then my parents' bedroom on the right. At the very end of the hallway on the left was my bedroom. I was always scared to go down the hallway, but felt safe in my room. I was even super adamant that my parents let me sleep with my door closed. Not super common for how young I was. I was always scared to go to sleep and would often stay up into the wee hours of the night. Once I woke up the next morning, not being able to recall having fallen asleep, I would look out through the doorway to my room. My mom would usually open my door in the morning. I distinctly remember not being able to move or maybe I was not wanting to because I would be too exhausted from too little sleep there would always appear a lady at the end of that hallway where my door led to. She had very long gray hair, very pale skin. She wore a white dress or nightgown that looked gray to me as a kid. It was dirty, so maybe that's why. Which is why I called her the gray lady. She was tall and thin, and she had a grace to her that I had never seen in my short life. She always looked straight ahead, transfixed on something and never wavering her gaze. Then, after what felt like ages, she would slowly start to walk down the hallway. After a while, I would finally be able to move, and when I would go to investigate, she was gone. I always felt peaceful when I saw the gray lady, which was a welcomed feeling after how scared I was at night. For some reason, I never told anyone about this occurrence, even though it happened so often and for so many years. Flash forward to when I was about 14 years old. I was home alone because both of my parents were working late and my older teenage brother was hanging out with friends. It was still light out, but nearing dinner time. I remember being in the living room having just gotten off the phone with my mom when I heard a man and woman having a conversation in what sounded like my parents' bedroom. For reference, on the other side of the living room wall, there are two bathrooms, and then their room. So there must have been significant noise for me to hear it. At first, I was confused, and thought that maybe my dad had come home without me realizing and was on the phone with someone, 
or maybe they had left the TV on in their room. But I had been home alone for quite some time at this point, and I reminded myself that I had just talked to my mom about when her and my dad would be home. Brushing these thoughts off and assuring myself that one of these scenarios must be true, I walked into their room to find their TV and their computer off and a lingering, stale silence. I went back out to the living room, still in disbelief, and tried to shrug it all off. That's when I heard it again, and this time it sounded louder, like arguing. I rushed back to their room to find it exactly as it was before, empty. That's when I got scared and called my mom again, who was already on her way home at that point, and made her stay on the line with me. I don't think I told her exactly what happened, just that I was spooked. During my time at this house, I had terrible nightmares. One recurring nightmare that I had was of a dark figure of a man standing right outside my window, watching me. I couldn't make out any features, and he looked a little blurry. This dream scared me so much more than any other nightmare I ever had. It was quite unreasonable, though because right outside the window to my room was a 50-foot evergreen tree, and you wouldn't even be able to tell that there was even a room there unless you looked hard enough. As a couple of side notes, I always felt that the Grey Lady protected me from the man in my nightmare. My family never really talked about stuff like this. We were all very busy most of the time. Flashing forward again to when I was in college, out of state, I randomly had that same nightmare with the man in my old bedroom window. It scared me just as much as when I was a kid, and I hadn't had that dream in a long time since we had moved a while back. I wasn't even living at home anymore. It just so happened that my parents were visiting me the week after I had the dream again. And this time, I decided to share my experiences in the house with my parents. I started telling them about the gray lady, and before I could even finish, my dad interrupted and said, Oh, you mean the white lady? To which I responded, Well, she had gray hair. And then he said, Yes, she did, but she wore a white dress and would walk down the hallway. I was so perplexed that he had seen her too and never said anything. Maybe he was worried about scaring us as kids? I then proceeded to tell them about my recurring nightmare and fear about the man in the window to which my dad said that he always had that same recurring nightmare with a man staring into my old childhood bedroom window. He proceeded to describe the exact sequence in which the dream unfolded, as well as how the man looked and the uneasy feeling it left him with. It's just crazy to me finding out that I was not the only one who experienced most of these occurrences. And nice to know that I'm not alone. Are you loving the show? Let us know with a positive rating and review. In return, we'll help you hide the body. Coming up next, we have a listener voicemail from Cheyenne, and she has a very unsettling encounter with an unknown entity. I don't know, it was about six years ago, I was staying with my sister-in-law, with my current husband, and a blood moon eclipse was happening that night. So we were all outside watching the eclipse and I got this sudden urge to look towards the house. 
So in the side yard, if you look at the house, this big bay window into the living room. And there was a figure, there was a man standing there. And everybody was outside except for the kids. And this was a man, not a kid. And I'm just dead fixed on this figure. Like I can tell that it's not like an actual human. Like he, he was black, but detailed, if that made sense. And he's just dead staring at me. I'm just not allowed to look away. It was the most surreal paranormal experience I ever dealt with. Little odds and creepy feelings and stuff like that before this, but this was undeniably in my face. This is happening. I didn't, I wasn't scared. Like, I didn't get that creepy feeling. It was just one of those, like, he was dead determined to make me aware that he was there. And I wasn't allowed to deny his existence. After that, he would, I'm pretty sure it's the same apparition anyways, would appear as a shadow in the chair at night, or he would, I could feel something touching me that wasn't there, like, you know, my back or something. And we all acknowledged that he was there. Like, we all knew he was there. One way or another, he made everybody aware that he was there. And it was, it was just so surreal. And I don't think I'll ever be able to forget that. And if I ever tried to deny the existence of spirits before, I definitely can't now. Can't get enough disturbed? We've got you covered on Patreon with monthly bonus episodes, ad-free listening, shoutouts, and more. Visit disturbedpodcast.com slash support. You'll be glad you did. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. On the morning of August 1st, 1966, shots ring out from the observation deck of the clock tower on the University of Texas campus. It marks the infamous beginning of the modern era of mass shootings in America. You're listening to Stop the Killing Podcast. Join us as we take you behind the crime scene tape to explain global mass shootings and mass attacks. I'm Sarah Ferris, but more importantly, this is Catherine Schweitz, the former head of the FBI's active shooter program. I spent five years as the FBI's top executive looking for answers to the mass shooting crisis. I've been at the shooting scenes. I've traced heroic acts of bravery. And I've sat silently and listened to the heart-wrenching stories from survivors. Amongst this horror, there is hope. We all hold the key to stop the killing. You just need to know how to unlock the door. Download Stop the Killing and be part of the solution. Search Stop the Killing on Apple, Spotify, and all the usual suspects. My name is Bill Huffman, and I am a former Cleveland News producer. And I am now the host of the podcast, Who Killed? I began the show focusing on the unsolved murder of Amy Mihaljevic, and now each week I explore a different case with a focus on some of the victims who don't get the attention they deserve. I have a deep catalog of over 225 episodes, so there is a guarantee 
there'll be something for you. Who Killed is an evergreen podcast, killer podcasts, and slow burn media production. Subscribe today wherever you get your favorite shows. Now back to the deliciously frightful. Disturbed Podcast with your host, Chad. Next up, we have an email submission from Olivia, featuring voice work by Tanya E.B., and we learn about a terrifying possibility. Back in 1984, a body was found in Washington County, Wisconsin. It was a young boy found with clothes matching a missing case of a boy named Tim Molnar. Tim was a 19-year-old boy from Daytona Beach, Florida. The morning he went missing, he dropped his 14-year-old brother off at school before driving to class. He never arrived at school, and later, his car was found at a Greyhound bus station in Atlanta, Georgia. When his parents arrived to the car to inspect it, they found Tim's wallet, ID, and credit cards. What they didn't find, however, was the valuable items believed to have been in the car with Tim. The stereo that Tim had installed in the car himself, his bike, and his expensive tool set. As his ID and wallet were found, it seems that for years, the most credible theory was that Tim had run away to start a new life, possibly having adopted a new identity when he left his car. However, Tim had taken no clothes from his home before leaving, and there is no evidence that he packed anything at all. Then the next information we have was his body was found in Wisconsin, found by Stephen Call. Later, this story was told by Stephen on Unsolved Mysteries in 1995. Now I have information that might be prudent to this story. In the 1980s, my family had a friend named Richard Jashinsky. He was friends with my uncle and spent a lot of time with him and my aunt. My parents would come down to Wisconsin from Minnesota, and Richard would often be there. My parents never liked him and often found him odd. Speaking to my father, he told me that from the minute he met Richard, he knew something was off. Richard would often show up to the family property, only down the street from where Tim was found, uninvited. My dad says now that he thought that Richard was coming to scope out the land for something weird. Our property was remote farmland that had a long driveway leading up to the house. A perfect place for a body to be hidden. Richard Jashinsky, now in his 80s, lived in Wisconsin and flew planes. He had a small plane that he would often fly between Florida and Wisconsin. I have been told that Richard had young men staying in his small shack of a home who would be coming through town. Now, that information isn't confirmed, but it seems to be true. Later in life, Richard was convicted of sexual assault of a child. He moved to Arizona and can still be found on the sexual offenders registry. The thing that I find odd in these two people together is this. Even though Tim Molnar was technically of age, the fact that he was from Florida, where Richard would often be, then found less than a mile away from where he would spend a lot of his time, and for Richard to be arrested in 2001 for sexual assault of a child, seems too odd to be a coincidence. Stephen Cull, the kid who found Tim's body, lived across the street from my aunt and uncle's house. His family has been their neighbors for many years. The fact that Richard would spend a lot of his time showing up to my family's property uninvited across the street from the man who found Tim's body also seems too odd to be a coincidence. I will say, back in 2019, my brother and I put all this information on the internet. We posted on Unsolved Mysteries, my favorite murder, and other Reddit pages. We contacted Milwaukee Homicide, sent the information to the FBI, 
but nothing was ever done about it. Now I will include here the information that my brother provided on the internet and gave to law enforcement back in 2019. Throw away for obvious reasons, I just reported what I know to the FBI. I have family in Wisconsin. When we are driving past a park area, my father remarks how family friends found a skeleton, known as the Manchi skeleton, while looking for shed antlers. Later, while watching Unsolved Mysteries covering the disappearance of Molnar, he, the family friend, makes the connection to the unidentified body he found years before, tells Ellie, and lo and behold, it's Molnar. My father remarks how he always suspected a former friend of his brother-in-law, my uncle, of committing the crime, because he was a creepy guy and was convicted of second-degree sexual assault against a child in 2001 and lived in town. My sister and I are like, WTF, and ask him if he ever tipped off law enforcement. He's like, well, no. We can't believe it. But the evidence isn't really beyond he's a peso at this point. But we are headed to my uncle's, who knew this man. The man he knew was Richard J. Jashinsky. And as we ask more and more questions of our uncle, the more damning the picture becomes. Dick, as he was known, was a strange man who lived nearby in a barn-like shack where he would often let young male drifters crash, rotating through. From this shack, he was also a poacher, killing animals illegally and surviving off them. My uncle remembers how he tried to burn the bones in a furnace to hide his poaching and failed, and began looking for other methods of disposal. He also would leave in the winter to Flora, where he had a plane and would often fly back and forth, but would often drive down and fly out. Tim disappeared in January 1984 from Flora, leaving his car at a Greyhound station, taking a bike with him that was found with his body all the way in Wisconsin. Like I said, he was later convicted of pedophilia in 2001 and had infiltrated a Christian boys and girls club. He would also take long unannounced walks on my family's property, making me wonder what he was really up to. I'm trying to remember more. I have a feeling I've forgotten a super creepy piece of the Florida connection, but wanted to put this out there for my conscience and for Tim. If this guy had something to do with it, then I have to say something. But oddly, when I contacted my aunt, she said she wanted nothing to do with it at all. My tip to the FBI. And my uncle had been sort of defensive when talking about it. But I think he's dealing with guilt from being friends with Dick and not realizing who he was. And like I said, my father literally had all the info and never reported it. Here's to hoping something comes of this. Are you terrified yet? You will be. And finally, we close out the show with a listener voicemail from Amanda. And we have an uncomfortable Halloween experience. Hi, my name is Amanda. I am a big fan of the show. I listen every Thursday. I heard that you wanted Halloween stories, so I thought I would share my story. It's probably not that scary, but it scared the crap out of me, so I thought I would share. It was Halloween night in 2006. I was 19 at the time. I worked at a local tool store. I had the night shift, so we closed at nine and we always had to stay about an hour later to clean the store. So I normally didn't get home until about 1030. 
So that night when I got home, I let myself into the house and it was dark. The only light on was the light above the stove that my mom always turned on before she went to bed. So I knew she was already asleep. I made my way to the kitchen to set my belongings down and there was a knock at the door. And it was very unusual because we live in a mobile home park and the neighbors that did have kids in that area always took their kids to other neighborhoods to trick or treat. So we didn't have any candy because we never turned on our porch light to hand out candy because we never had any kids. And I thought it was really unusual. It's 1030 at night. Even if it was a trick or treater, it's a little late. So I made my way back to the front door. I turned on the porch light. And before I opened the door, I said, who's there? And a male voice said, trick or treat. Now he sounded about, I would say four feet from the door. He sounded farther away. So I said, okay, you know, I'll unlock the door. Just let them know we don't have any candy. You know, that'll be that. Well, I opened the door and there was this guy standing inches away from my face. I was face to face with a guy that was probably not too much taller than me. And I'm, I'm 5'2". So he had a dark jacket on and he had a devil's mask. And it, it wasn't one like a kid-friendly mask. It would be one of those devil masks that scare the crap out of children. So it was very unsettling. I froze and I didn't say anything. Felt like forever. And I'm pretty sure it was because he repeated himself. He said, trick or treat. And... I said, oh, I'm sorry, but we don't have any candy. And he said, but I said, trick or treat, and you opened the door. And I said, yes, but only to tell you that we don't have any candy. And let me just point out, he hasn't moved. We are having this conversation inches away from each other. Like he is still face to face with me. He goes... So you mean to tell me you don't have anything for me? And I said, no, I'm sorry, I don't. And then he says, well, then I have something for you. And he reaches his hand into the pocket of his jacket. And I don't know if it was my nerves or what, but the motion of him reaching into his pocket was like slow motion. I just thought to myself, what if it's a gun or something? So I just slammed the door shut and locked it. And I ran probably, I would say a few feet from the door is our couch and I hid behind it. And I am on my knees and I'm like, oh my God, oh my God, my heart is pounding. And I'm just like, Sitting there, felt like forever. All of a sudden, I hear him say, God bless you. And he slips something into the wedge of the door. 
I didn't know what it was. I continued to sit there probably about five minutes before I decided to get up. I don't know what possessed me to do this. I probably shouldn't have done it, but I went to the door and I opened it to see what he had stuck through the wedge of the door. When I did that, a business card had fell onto the porch. When I picked it up, it was for a church. It was like a business card for a church. And judging by the address, it was probably a few miles down the road. I just couldn't believe it because I'm like, so this is your tactic to get people to come to your church is to have kids wear really scary devil's masks and knock on people's doors at at 1030 at night. And the thing that gets me that I didn't really think about when I was younger, but now that I'm older, I kind of do think about this a lot, is how did he know to come to my house? Like, did he see me walking from my car? And that's just creepy to think about that. There was somebody out there probably watching me walk to my door and I had no clue. But yeah, that's my story. Hope you guys enjoyed it. Like I said, I'm a big fan. Uh, Keep up the great work. Follow our social channels on Facebook and Instagram at Disturbed Podcast and on Twitter at Disturbed underscore pod. Don't forget you can send in your own true terrifying tale. Head over to disturbedpodcast.com slash submit to find out all the different ways to send in your story. If you'd like to support the show and gain access to bonus episodes, ad-free content, and early releases, visit patreon.com slash disturbedpodcasts or join directly in Apple Podcasts. And a big thanks to our newest supporters, Carla Frolichiardi, Benjamin Lawler, Leslie Patterson, and Maddie Rogers. Thanks to all of you for supporting the show. Music by Carl Casey at WhiteBatAudio, co.ag, and Kevin Hartnell. Thanks for listening. We'll be back next Thursday with a brand new episode. Keep it creepy and stay safe out there, y'all.